Welcome to a fine time for healing, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. You know, I always bring you different topics. That's that's really what I kind of base my show on. I, I, I want to bring you different aspects of wellness and living um, because I know that everybody gravitates towards different things. And today is a topic I really have not covered, and so I'm very excited to cover it. We have with us Florence Ann Romano, who is an author, philanthropist, businesswoman, personal growth strategist, and village and child care advocate with a sparkling personality. We're going to get to find that out. With an eye for marketing, Romano flourishes as both an advisor for the vice president of business strategy for Yakety Yak, uh, Florence Ann is a proud member of the Board of Directors at the Children's Research Fund, as well as Female Strong. Uh, she is also a founding member of Sesame Street's Leadership Council. After spending more than 15 years as a child care provider, during which she was known as the Windy City Nanny, Romano is an authority on child care and family support in this new millennium and has more than 500 media appearances discussing these topics. Welcome, Florence Ann. It's so great to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Randy. I'm thrilled to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about your book, Build Your Village. Yeah. And we've all heard it takes a village to raise children. But right. I think in your, from this angle that mm -hmm. you wrote this book, we're not just talking about having a village to raise children. We're talking about each of us having our own village, okay? Right. So what do you consider a village? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, that proverb, it takes a village to raise a child, because I always heard that, and families would always bemoan that, especially moms. You know, where is this village? Do they just show up at your front door, like, ready to help you? Is there a phone number to call? Is there a map? And I understand why it's difficult to build community and to find your people and to build those villages because the older you get, it's not as built in as it generally is when you're younger, making those connections and making those friendships. But what I really wanted to focus on was cutting that proverb in half, saying it takes a village. And making sure that everyone understands that regardless if you have children or not, you deserve to find your people. You deserve to have a community. And beyond that, this, no matter what you're born into, your socioeconomics, what your family looks like, you should be empowered to find your own family, your own friends that are going to be the support system that you need. Uh, so again, every season of life, every age, race, and creed, you have to figure this out for yourself and you deserve to figure this out for yourself because oftentimes I think people feel that they're exempt from it for some reason. And that's a big part of this work that you do in trying to figure out how to build your village is figuring out what's missing, what's there, and how can you improve upon it. Yeah, and um, I think this is, this is really great. Uh, it's, it's going to open our eyes to a lot of things that we really did not pay attention to, but things that we find that we need, we just haven't prepared for them. Um, so you say community is a word that gets thrown around a lot. Um, so what is your understanding of community? 
Well, it's funny because I, I start the book talking about how back in the day, everyone, you know, had kind of these little villages, you know, that's how, that's how life was. Mm -hmm. And as time has gone on, we've, we've gotten away from that. And, and that's just the way society has kind of evolved. Um, I was raised in an old school Italian household. My grandparents lived with us growing up, my mom's parents. So I had a very quintessential, uh, village, I think, growing up because my grandparents were a big part of raising us. Um, but the idea of, of community, I think, looks and feels different for everybody. Uh, and it also comes with a lot of feelings attached to it, because if you're not necessarily born into a family or born into a community that supports you, is healthy, um, then you're going to look at uh, support a different way. Uh, and and there are many challenges, of course, that come with sometimes recovering from what you're born into and your childhood and your relationship with your parents and things like that. And that's a different category. Uh, but community in general, I, I think what we're trying to figure out is how you're casting your life kind of like a movie or a play. Who are the main characters? And and also, this work is not meant to just be selfish. I always say it's very easy to be like, this is what I need, what I want, gimme, gimme, gimme. But this is really about also, who am I to other people? And when we do that work, too, to reflect on who we are to other people, we do that evaluation. Mm -hmm. We're also learning about ourselves and what we need, too. So this is a reciprocal kind of dance uh, that we're doing here regarding our needs and the needs of others. Okay. Got it. Yeah, I know um, I'm originally from Baltimore, and I live, I've lived in South Florida for 18 years. And I know when I moved down here, I, I said, I don't have my people. Yeah. I don't have my people. I had established my doctors and, and just every, I had established my life and I just knew everything. And I came down here and I had to reestablish it all over again. And that was not easy to do. No. And like you say, um, you know, I found when my children were young, it was built in because you were with other parents going through the same thing. Your yeah. kids played with them. You talked to the other parents. You just, it just was there. As you get older, um, and if you haven't grown up in the neighborhood you're currently living in, um, it can be isolating. Right. And it's hard to build it um, because adults are fairly resistant to change. So, um, so yeah, that's been something that I've been working on for a long time. So what type of people do you need in your village? What are, what are we looking for? What are the categories? So I created six archetypes of villagers in my book that I wanted you to identify with. So it's you know, who do I need of these six people and who am I of these six people to others? So accepting, dependable, communicator, cheerleader, organizer, and healer. And I, I go through that quickly and we can go into some detail about them, but I go through it quickly on purpose because usually what happens is as soon as I say those words, whoever I'm talking to starts to mentally, just as a reflex, starts 
casting people mm-hmm. in their life into those roles based on the context clues of those words. Right. And that's exactly what I want. That's that's exactly the low hanging fruit, I, I, if you if you know so to speak, of what's going on here. Because I think oftentimes what is very paralyzing about this this work that is is you don't feel like you have enough people or the right people and there's an embarrassment factor that comes with that or then there's also the flip side to it where as you start to work through those six archetypes you're like you know what I do have some of these people I'm actually surprised that I I actually have more than I thought but here's the caveat to that sometimes we cast the wrong people in the wrong roles And that's also leading to the feelings of perhaps isolation or depletion or Mm -hmm. uh, loneliness, things like that. So just like a play or a movie, like I said before, sometimes you need to recast. Sometimes you need to fire people. Um, You need to shuffle the deck a bit. Um, Because if you're finding that you have these people uh, in your life sitting in the wrong seats, it's just as bad as if they weren't there at all. You're right. You're so right. And I know that my listeners can really relate to that. Um, So how do we know if a person should be in our village? Um, You know, what, what are we looking for? Well, I think you have to look at the season of life you're in right now. And I'll I'll use an an example. my dad, my parents, I'll use actually both my parents. So my parents were married for 40 years, four zero, and they got divorced four years ago. Wow. And so, I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, you, you never think your parents after 40 years would be getting divorced. And so I'm, I'm 38. Um, I'm the oldest of four kids. And so um, when they got divorced and they're very amicable, which is, which is good, um, but my dad oftentimes tells me I lost everyone after the divorce because everyone was tied to your mother. And my mom was kind of the linchpin of that. She was the one responsible for the social calendar. Her friends' husbands were friends with my dad because those were her girlfriends. Right, exactly. And so this is very typical, I think, of of, of divorces, you know, where uh, one probably loses more of their social life than the other. Hmm. Um, but my dad right now in his almost mid seventies is trying to figure out this exact question. Who do I need in my village? And here's what I'll say to that. It's, it's great that he's thinking about it and challenging himself to figure that out. But at this age, my dad does not really want to follow through on the work that needs to happen to do it. And so that's going to be his challenge with this which is where I think a lot of people can relate. You get to a certain point where you're like, it's just too much work. And I don't, I don't have the time or the energy, honestly, to do it. I just mm-hmm. want it to be able to happen. So I'm a big believer in the small steps. I, I was talking to my dad about it a bit. And I said, well, where is it that, you know, what hurts the most? You know, where is the biggest gap right now in your life? Um, is it, you know, just being able to, you know, have to go out and have a group of people to be social with, um, or, you know, is it that it's dating that's missing, even though he's doing that or, you know, whatever it is, but it's actually trying to diagnose the problem. So without you going into more specifics there, 
what I'm getting at is it's going to depend again on the season of life you're in and what you feel is missing. And it's, I, I also say this, some of the loneliness, loneliest people I know are the busiest. So just because you make your social calendar, you know, big and robust, it doesn't mean it's actually going to fulfill you. So to answer your question in this very roundabout way, Randy, it, you have to start thinking about what are the priorities for you right now? And what is it that is going to help fill up your cup the most? Okay, that makes sense. And your the divorce was a really good example of that because I could just see where your whole world would kind of be torn from you. I would imagine that the people that we want to rely on should be trustworthy and reliable. Um, Is there always a two-way street as far as respect with these people? Well, respect, we would hope, would be a a cornerstone of all things that we have in life. And I know we live in a world today where we feel like (laughs) that just is not the case. You know, we're more divided than ever. And there's... You know, there's no gray area anymore. Everything is black and white. Um, so yes, respect is a part of it. But to to expand on that, I always talk about, especially in the book, meeting people where they are, not where you want them to be. Okay. And that's a big part of acceptance, but it's a big part of the respect too. And it's also understanding people's limitations and their strengths um, and setting people up for success. It's unfair of us to go to someone and expect them to play a role or participate in this village in a way that you want them to because that's what you need. You, at, you again, have to meet them where they are. You have to understand who they are as a person, what their skill set is. So again, you can set the relationship up for success in a reciprocal way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where, when building your village, when this stuff doesn't work, it's when you are, I'm not talking about you, Randy, you, the gen- general, um, are, are putting expectations on a person that are, are not realistic. Um, and also being greedy, uh, you know, the, and I think oftentimes in, in life, we get to that point where we're so fed up or we're so desperate or we're so upset or angry or frustrated that it's difficult to see outside of that fog. And so it does, and, and it brings out maybe not the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, this, this active work, which it is, um, to figure out what it is that's missing, it really comes down to respect, like you said, of others, but then also yourself. True. I think, you know, as you're saying this, I'm thinking, you know, a lot of people have one person that they rely on so heavily for so many things, whether it be mm-hmm. a spouse or a best friend or yeah. a family member or something like that. <clears throat> And one person, I guess, can't really do all of it. And then eventually it gets to a point where there's conflict. Right. Um, because you begin to expect things. And when that person can't come through for you, it's, um, you know, it, it, it really kind of breaks the relationship. So meeting people where they are, I agree with you. Um, in my work, I always do that. You know, you, you do have to meet people. Um but there are people who are who take advantage of others who are users and abusers. Right. Um, and that's why, you know, when I say respect, I think it has to be where both people respect the role 
that they're in. Maybe, maybe they don't have to respect everything about that person, but they have to respect the role that they're playing, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and respecting the role, it also can change. Uh, you know, in, in life, we're not, let me say it this way, I suppose, to start. Uh, I talk about those six archetypes, and I'm not telling you you have to run out there and get all six of those people. And more than one person can play more than one role, and you could have five accepting villagers and three organizers. You know, the number can change. But I'm not telling you to run out there and do that. Um, it, right now, in the season of life that you're in, in the chapter of life that you're in, you may have four of the six and say, I'm good. And that's okay. That's great. Uh, there may come a time where you need to add a couple more or, you know, you have all six or you have two. It depends on, again, what's filling you up and what you need in that season of your life. And, you know, let's also look at some some specific examples of how villages uh, kind of come and go, too. So there are crisis moments. There are moments when you do swoop in there to help a friend or family because they've lost a spouse or a, a relative and you're there, part of a meal train or whatever might be going on to support that family, but you're getting them through that particular season. And eventually, you know, the healing will take place and maybe you'll start to pull back. It doesn't mean that you weren't important. It doesn't mean that you, you didn't affect that person's life in a very positive way, just because it's, it's not a consistent need uh, and you're not going to be a consistent part of that person's life. You are part of what I call that secondary village for that reason season of that person's life. Um, and those are very, very important people. Uh, and that comes in all different shapes and forms too. When you have, uh, when you have those, uh, those secondary villages. Um, and so uh, Again, you know, you have to allow yourself the flexibility to to kind of ebb and flow uh, through these archetypes and not put the pressure on yourself to think that if I don't have all of these people, that I'm not a fully a fully whole person. And that's not what it is. I'm asking you to figure out what it is that's missing. And if there is nothing missing right now, then great. You can put a check mark there and continue on your merry way. But if you're waking up in the morning and you're feeling like something's missing or you're you're having those feelings of depression, and let's be honest, we're dealing with a lot a big mental health crisis in our country right now. So, you know, we have to pay attention to that in maybe a professional way as well. Um, but like I always say too, this work, which is work, only works if you work it. And if you really want something to change in your life then you are going to have to put in the effort to do it. This stuff is not just going to happen automatically. And that's the frustration a lot of people have with village building is that it just doesn't happen in a snap. Right. Let's, before we move forward, let's go through the archety archetypes um, briefly and just kind of explain what each one is. So accepting, I usually say this is the first person that you cast in your village. Um, it's the person you're going to confide in, you're going to tell a secret to. Uh, and, and that person is important in your life because generally it's a person that's not going to judge you. And I think in life, we always want, you know, to, to hopefully, um, you know, uh, pivot toward people who we don't feel are going to judge us. Right. Uh, the dependable one is, is someone that you're going to, uh, 
No, and yes, it's the context clues. Yes, you can depend on them. Um, but it's more than that. They're a person in your life that is going to be able to uh, put the lid on situations instead of making uh making something exponentially worse. And you know that you can delegate to them and they are going to get those things done. Uh, there's a peace of mind that comes with that. The cheerleader, one of my favorite ones, I know it seems like just it's rah, 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 good for you. And yes, there's an element of that. But your cheerleader is your hype person in situations that are not just the good ones. They're there to help you through transitional times in your life. And sometimes those transitional times can be very difficult. Uh, and, and that's why a cheerleader, as cheery as that sounds, no pun intended, uh, there can be a lot of layers to that that are challenging. And having someone who's steadfast in that is very important. Mm -hmm. um, the communicator. Uh, this person is not necessarily someone that you're expressing your deepest, darkest secrets to, but you know yeah. they're going to be able to get things done, similar to the dependable villager. But the communicator is one that you know is going to be able to uh, accomplish what needs to be done and come in at those different times it needs to happen and know that it doesn't necessarily, like we were just talking about, it's that necessarily consistent person in your life all the time. But you know it's someone that you're going to be able, um, again, to depend on, but also is going to be um, a, a balanced, peaceful part of the process. Uh, and uh, uh, organizer, um, I, I, I like to think of this person as like decluttering both your heart and your mind. Um, and again, someone that maybe comes in at a crisis moment that takes care of something or someone you're help that's helping you as a mom, um, with carpool when you are out, you know, you're, um, on vacation or out sick that, you know, you can depend on them, that they're going to be able to get those things done. Again, there's overlap with all of these. It just depends on how you specifically go are going to apply them to your life and what the circumstances are in your life. And then the healer. I never have favorites, just like you don't have like a favorite child, but the healer, one, uh, a villager is, is one of my favorites to concentrate on because I think we oftentimes look at people and think that we want them to fix a situation and the healer is not there to fix you or fix the situation. The healer is there to be kind of your North star, to walk through it with you, whatever the it is in your life, to be next to you. Um, but the important note about all six of these is if you're ever looking to any of these people to fix you, to fix the situation, or to make their, you know, your problems their own, uh, to put the um, the obligation on them, that's very unfair because that can be very difficult in a friendship to navigate uh, when you feel like you are their everything or you are disappointing them by not able to, by not being able to fix it. And I think that that's, you know, the kind of the quiet part we have to say out loud about friendships is it's, you know, we, we can't be asking people to take responsibility for our happiness. You're right. Well said. Well said. Um, you know, as you were saying, the cheerleader, I was thinking to myself, this is a, this is a very important role, but it's a very delicate role. 
because yes. you have to know how to cheer on the person in the way that they need it. Right. And, right. Because so I do narcissistic abuse and many um, those who come to me who are getting out of a bad abusive relationship and are still um, having these deep seated feelings, which is very normal when you come out of the a relationship with a personality disordered individual. Um, but they're having a hard time getting over it, even though they know consciously they should not be with this person. There right. is the longing. And what those cheerleaders in their life are always saying is move on. He or she wasn't good for you. You know, you can do this. All right, get out. Let's have let's go out. And that is the wrong cheerleader for those people. That's not what they need. They need the healer at that point. So yeah. people have to know the boundaries of cheerleading, don't they? I love that you said, and what you're saying is is actually hitting home for me because I had a relationship with with a with a gentleman who definitely was a narcissist, and I got out of there, which is great. Um, but I've and I also had. You know, I've talked about my dad a little bit. My dad has his own struggles with 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 that, and so I've I've had it in different places in my life. Um, and you're right. You know, as that lens that you're looking through, Randy, is a really important one because um, I think we oftentimes too, this is part of the judgment. I would say mm-hmm. we we only see it through the lens of our own experience, and just because it's the way that I heal or what you know, the way I'm dealing with it, it doesn't mean it's necessarily the way someone else is going to deal with it. Um, And having the right cheerleader, having the right healer, all of those things is very important. Um, And, and also understanding the language people speak, because we don't all understand each other's way of communicating. Um, And, not everyone is as comfortable or as articulate, I guess you could say, or as tapped into their feelings or emotions or needs as other people. And that can be challenging for someone who's like a super, you know, well, like a fab- fabulous communicator and someone who really doesn't know how to have that emotional language. Right. And like, how do those people communicate then? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of I would use the word grace that you have to give people when trying to figure out how to have a relationship. And I don't just mean romantic friendship, whatever it is, you have to learn about each other and how each other communicates and what you need. There are certain friends, like I always say, you know, you're not going to go to every friend you have for every single thing. You know, you've got the friend you want to go out and have the drink with and the friend that's going to give you tough love and the friend that's going to give you the hug. You know, you have different friends for different reasons, because again, what are you doing? You're playing to their strengths. You know that that's, you're going to that place because that's something they do well. And they're coming to you for the same reasons too. Mm -hmm. Um, But I agree with you. I I think that's so well said about um, what does the cheerleading look like, depending on the circumstances of that person. And which villager do you need to go to in that moment? Because if you're going to the cheerleader when you really need the healer, then it's it's you're not going to solve anything in that moment. It may even make you crazier. It may even make you more anxious. Right. It does. It 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 it, it sets people back because they begin to doubt themselves 
where you know they're trying to move forward and then all these people are saying oh you can do do year he you know it's over done get put that in your rear view mirror and move on so um but i think that what you're saying is really important too because the communication and knowing each other is really really crucial it's up to each of us to be able to define our boundaries and say what's uncomfortable to us mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. if somebody is coming on like I, i'll tell people you know i'm i say if you have friends that won't stop doing this you can't they can't be involved right now okay because they just won't stop but this is where boundaries come in where um you know both of you sort of you sort of kind of feel in your way here to see if it's if it's the right method the right fit the right cheerleading um and it's up to us to say this is where our boundaries you know really um this isn't good for me right now so i would appreciate you saying it a different way or don't don't you, let's not talk about this or something like that mm-hmm. rather than just getting upset and uh falling apart because of it and boundaries too it's funny i read just about a little bit about this the other day too just because i'm always interested in that in those conversations about boundaries um but it's actually you fighting for the relationship, hmm. which is interesting. I thought it was an interesting perspective when you're trying to enforce boundaries. Uh, because boundaries, I always say, everyone thinks is a dirty word. You know, people get automatically defensive when you say the word boundaries because they're like, oh, you know, I, I didn't, what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything. You're being too sensitive, whatever those things, you know, people, you know, again, defense that they go on. But the, the, point of view, you know, seeing it through that lens of I'm actually fighting for this relationship because I'm taking the time to actually put these boundaries in place to protect myself and to protect them and to see if we can get to a better, healthier place. I liked that that um, that perspective on it uh, because I think oftentimes we get caught up in the the negative connotation that perhaps is attached to the boundary conversation um and 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 that that's cool it's it's neat to think about it that way that you're actually this is you really actually trying yeah i love that you said that that's that's really a great perspective on it you're right because you don't set boundaries with people you don't care about well and you also don't i mean let's be honest sometimes you know you've got to set these boundaries because it's as much as we wish we could say, I don't want to deal with this person. They're not going to be a part of my life. They're toxic. I'm walking away from it. Well, sometimes it's not so easy because it's a parent or it's someone that's in your, in your orbit Mm -hmm. that you can't walk away from that easily. So it's like, all right, well, how do I deal with this? And so, you know, uh, it's, it's about figuring out again, how to make it as healthy as it can, as, as respectful as it can or, Right. right. It's like throwing everything you have at it. Can I, you know, this is, this is the best, this is what we need to continue in this, um, you know, in this way, whether it's a job, a boss, this is what I need in order to be able to continue in this relationship. So you are invested in something here. And, you know, and if you set boundaries and the other person just keeps knocking them down, well, then you realize you're powerless to make these changes, right? Right. That's exactly it. So I know everybody's thinking, all right, so where do I begin (laughs) to find these people? You know, how do I begin to do this? 
Right. Well, again, you know, start taking inventory of what already exists in terms of the low hanging fruit in your life. We talked about the definitions I gave, you know, and we could even go into far, you know, more deep, deeper uh, mm-hmm. conversation about that. Um, but that's, that's the point of the work in the book is it's like a workbook. I have at the end of each chapter action steps and gut checks. The gut checks are what did I learn here? And the action steps are how do I put this into place? Um, and the whole book, you know, goes into a lot of detail about these people. But I always say for those like really not knowing where to start, uh, I always say philanthropy is the answer. Uh, philanthropy tends to be uh, a two birds with one stone method. Uh, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling like you don't have a support system, you're not making friends, you know, you're new to, uh, again, you went through a divorce, you lost a spouse, you're new to a town. Um, you know, how do you actually put yourself out there to take that step in creating a new village? And uh, philanthropy is a great way to do that. What makes your heart beat? Like I always say, what makes your heart flutter? You know, quick search in Google about something that's important to you, whether it's volunteering at a shelter or a soup kitchen or getting involved uh, with a local hospital or something like that. Um, You can find a place where you can give your heart and your time. And if you do that, you're probably going to meet people that are like-minded, or you would hope so, right? Um, and then there's a there's a, a nice kind of soft entry into that because you already have something in common with these people. You're there for a common cause. And hopefully you're going to create some bonds as you're there doing something that means something to you both. And you already have a conversation piece. Um, so if you if you're stuck and don't know how to take a first step, consider giving back because there there are many benefits to that, but also it is a less threatening way to put yourself out there. Right. That's a really good suggestion. And it, it fulfills so many other things too. It gets us out of our head. It gets us, it takes us away from being so self-focused. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it gives us a purpose in a meeting, meaning where we may not feel like we have one at the time. So I agree with you. I mean, that's, that's always, that was always my go-to when um, I felt like I was too in my head. I'm like, nah, I gotta, yeah. <laughs> I gotta be out there and focusing on some other, other people and some other things, you know, so I can get out of my own head because we can beat ourselves up and we can really, if we live in our head too much, um, we can really make ourselves crazy and yeah, I agree. And that's actually something I talked about the other day. I was doing a story on Instagram and I was talking about how the days where I feel really low or, you know, just, you know, everyone has those gloomy days and, and uh, you know, how do you pivot? How do you get yourself out of that headspace? How do you try to get that cloud to lift a bit? And generally in my life, it's always about me putting the focus on someone else. So I'm feeling, you know, down and out about myself, pick up that phone, text a friend and just say, I'm thinking of you, you popped in my head today, it made me smile. Mm-hmm. And generally by making someone else's day, it's going to help change and shift that energy for you. Um, and, and, and that it's really powerful and it's so small. That's the thing that kills me about it too, Randy is, you know, we, I think oftentimes we have, we look for these enormous gestures, these, these heavy lifts in order for us to make ourselves feel better or, you know, affect the vibration of this world. And generally it's the smallest thing that creates the biggest vibration that creates the biggest change. Um, and I think empowering each other to, to know that and to lean into that is a huge piece of this puzzle. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, all kinds of thoughts are coming into my head about the way people do this. You know, there are so many things that you can do where it may not take a lot of your time. You know, you could be 
you could just do something small each day or whatever. Um, so we need, um, so if we're choosing somebody that's going to be there in an emergency, uh -huh. what are the things we want to look for in that person? Well, the dependable uh, villager that I was talking about is your emergency contact. And I always laugh because people don't answer their phone anymore, but I answer my phone all the time. And so I think I'm like probably 27 people's emergency contact for their children at school because they know that I will answer the phone. Um, but when you're looking for someone who is going to be there for you in an emergency, you really have to think about, yes, that they are going to answer their phone, that they are accessible in that way. But how are they in a crisis? How are they under pressure? How do they communicate in those moments? Are they going to have that logical train of thought and thinking? Are they going to be able to look outside of themselves in that moment and understand through empathy what is needed, how it's needed? Uh, so you want to look for someone who is able to see a lot of different perspectives and is able to kind of analyze the situation from this higher level in a holistic way. Um, and, and this is not a person that... It, there, let me, I guess I'll put it this way. It's not everybody is this person. It's very hard to be the dependable villager. It's very hard to be the emergency contact um, because you oftentimes really hope that you're not going to be put in the situation where you're going to be <laughs> having to deal with right. this. You know, like, you know, you're called to the kids, your, your friend's child's school because she's having an allergic reaction and you have to go there and like intervene because they can't get a hold of the parent. And now like you're in charge of like, you know, going to the hospital with that child and making decisions, you know, that you could go down that rabbit hole and you're like, oh my gosh, it's already giving me anxiety to think about that. Right. No, 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 no. You know, so again, you have to be very careful about how you select that person, but those attributes that I just listed, that is probably going to make a very good dependable villager. Okay. And in your book, you talk about proximity as well. So yep. mm -hmm. you don't want mm -hmm. an emergency uh, contact or, or, or villager um, who's across the country. Yeah, well, yeah. A phone call, but can't really intervene, right? <laughs> right. You're not going to put, you know, someone that lives in Germany down to be your emergency contact for your kid's school because they're not going to be able to get there. But, but if you're looking for someone who's your emergency contact in the emotional way, um, you know, that, that could, that certainly could be someone who lives anywhere. Um, but yes, proximity actually to the, like the logical logistical pieces of it have to be. Have so to be we could have a few people who are sure. there in different, in different ways. So you say, um, yeah, so it could be emotional. It could be physical. Um, you know, so you're right. Some people can be close by and some people don't have to be. Um, so, we have primary villagers and secondary villagers. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. are, what's the difference between them? Well, we talked a little, I touched on it a little bit before about secondary, but the primary, these are your ride or die. These are your main people. These are probably the six archetypes that I talked about. These are your best friends, your parents, you know, your siblings, uh, the people that are probably a daily or active, you know, act really active part of your life. And then the secondary village, like I said, it's not that it's not important. It just isn't maybe as consistent on a daily or a weekly basis. It's those crisis moments that, you know, people kind of swoop in. It could even be your 
your barista. And I laugh because that person is probably a primary villager to a lot of people. That vill that barista that you see every day that gives you your caffeine fix, you probably know all about their kids, their family, their troubles. I mean, and that person's probably a fixture in your life in a way you never thought they would be. So your secondary villagers could absolutely um, be more important than maybe someone that's just coming in during um, uh, a moment um, uh, that is um, going to have an expiration date to it, you know, attached. Um, but there's also overlap, you know, to these primary and secondary villages. It also depends on the stage of your life that you're in sometimes. Um, sometimes those primary and secondary villages, villagers are going to combine um, and they're going to stay that way for a while. Um, but then again, you move across the country or you move a town over and all of a sudden those villages shift and you mm -hmm. see those. And, and then also sometimes someone that's in your secondary village, maybe who you weren't very close to for a long time, becomes more important to you and they fall into that primary village camp at some point. So again, being flexible allowing the ebb and flow of this, allowing um, yourself uh, to be fluid and to and to give yourself um, the opportunity to explore, you know, how you can make some of these relationships stronger or embracing the fact that a crisis moment or something that was just a season of life has opened your eyes to something else maybe that you need or want. And then that's going to become more of a priority for you. And that's going to shift even what your primary village looks like and feels like or what you're searching for. Okay. All right. So it's, so it's fluid. It's always in motion. Yes. Things change. All right. And all of this really is honestly, Randy. I mean, it's, it, as long as we're living, as long as we're continuing to age and grow and evolve, all of this does too. Um, and, you know, we should be evolving and changing. And yes, we stay kind of, you know, true to kind of our principles or our values or things like that. But as life continues and we have more and more life experiences, of course, that's going to change pieces of you. I always think about like kind of the mosaic inside of me that I feel like I've taken from all these different people and all these walks of life and all these relationships I've had, I've taken little bits and pieces of those people and it's become this mosaic. And some of that stuff is things that I learned that were hard, that were really hurtful. Um, but I took that, that piece of them and that became part of my healing. That became part of, um, my story that, uh, you know, uh, reminds me not to go down certain paths or not to trust the wrong people or whatever it is, but it is this mosaic inside of you that you pick and choose kind of and go into and say, okay, this piece here, this is where I had that life experience and I'm going to apply it here now in this situation in my life. Right. 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 I understand. That's, that's well, well said. I think that many people think that their spouse or their significant other is their entire village. This mistake, <laughs> right. isn't it? <laughs> big mistake. Yeah. Big, big mistake. Yeah. I mean, I laughed one of my, 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 my very best girlfriend, we were, we were joking and she said to me one day, she goes, you know, she goes, he may be my husband, but you're my soulmate. And I was like, I know I said, it's a, I know, and that's just, the, it's a funny truth, but it, I, I think 
it's, <laughs> I, this is going to get hold like a whole thing now about, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, that whole thing, you know, that we don't speak the same language mm-hmm. and all that, we don't. you know, I, men and women are different. Uh, and, and we all have different ways of supporting each other. And there are certain things that maybe you would never talk to your spouse about, and you would talk to your best friend about because you know that your best friend is going to understand, is going to be able to relate to it, is going to give you the right advice. One of my friends, one of my best girlfriends always says to me, oh my gosh, my husband does not know how to just talk with me about something. He automatically needs to fix it. Got to fix it. You know, they don't want to have that emotional conversation. Mm -hmm. I said to her, I go, then stop talking to him about this stuff because he's making you more frustrated. That's when you call me or call one of your friends because you're not going to get what you need from him. So stop trying to make him what you need. He's not capable of that. But that's where we get into trouble, I think, a lot in our friendships and relationships, romantic or otherwise, is we want to change the person to be what we need them to be. And then when they don't do what we want them to do, you know, we, they've failed us and then we're mad at them about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're, again, we're not setting them up for success and we're not setting ourselves up for success. So, you know, to your point, we cannot be looking at our spouses or our significant others as, as the be all and the end all. Mm-hmm. No one in your life should ever be the sole person that you depend on. They should not be your everything. They, no one should. That's so unfair. <laughs> It really is unfair. I think a lot of young people that don't have a lot of life experience do this. They get married and then um, they say, but he doesn't understand me. He should understand. He should know. He should or she, you know, she should understand that when I'm doing this, this is what I mean. And um, I think it causes a lot of rift in, in relationships because we have these expectations for other people that because they love us, Right. They have the key to everything about us. Right. 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 And they do not. not. The they do not. No. We, right. They serve a certain purpose in our life. Your spouse right. is there for a certain purpose, um, but they cannot be everything. I mean, I've had to learn that. <laughs> well, you know, we also need to learn that in friendships, you know, you can't expect people to be mind readers. Right. You know, you have to, you, you, we do have a responsibility to learn how to communicate effectively. And, 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 you know, you sit there and you're like, well, you should just know, you should just know how I feel. You should just know what I need. And it's like, uh, well, that's so unfair. You know, I mean, like, it's one thing if like, okay, we'll give an example, like you're pregnant or something like that. And you're, you know, trying to clean up the family room or something like that. And your husband or your significant other walks through and sees you kind of struggling to fold blankets or pick things up. And he comes over and swoops in and says, just sit down. I'll take care of it. Okay. That that's great. They're anti, you know, and it would be better if they anticipated the need and cleaned up the <laughs> family room already without you having to do it. Right. But you know, that's, that's different than saying, you know, um, you know, you should have known that when I came home the other day from work and I was a little quiet, that I was going through something and I needed you to sit there and talk to me and pour me a glass of wine and you didn't sit there and you didn't do any of that and you didn't care about my feelings. Oh my gosh, it's like insane. You know, I mean, like, how I, and, then, and then all of a sudden you're like, you don't love me because you didn't know that's what I needed. You know, that's it's exactly like, right. oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's, it's not fair. You know, you, you have, there, it's a very fine line that we walk, you know, with anticipating someone's needs and being there emotionally for someone and, and understanding who someone is. Um, we really do have to take responsibility 
for what we need. We have to be advocates for ourselves. And we have to appreciate the value that that person brings to our life and not right. expect more, right? So this yeah. is the value that I get from this person. Um, and that just may be it. And that may be, that may fill one of your villages. So we talked about respect, but what about value systems and things like that? So do we have to have the same value systems as Oh my gosh, this, what, what a question, right? You know, in today's world, you know, when you have opposing values, can you be friends? You know, think back to COVID, Randy, when, you know, everything was so politically charged during COVID. I saw so many people lose friendships during that time because they didn't agree with, you know, vaccine, no vaccine, that whole thing. And that really gave me pause looking at that, thinking, gosh, that alone was enough to topple a friendship because they didn't have the same opinion. Um, And, you know, here we are a few years later and you think, my gosh, you know, that all felt like a nightmare. Was it like a horrible dream that we all had? Um, but that's a really good example of how, when you don't have similar values or you don't see the same in terms of religion or politics or whatever it might be, um, that it, it, it can disintegrate something. And, uh, I think it depends on the relationship. There are certain friends, I will say we are on opposite spectrums politically. We just never talk about it. Right. I, right. I mean, I love just them. Don't go there. Right. Just don't go there. I love them so much. I have a great time with them. We have a beautiful friendship, but that's just not a place we go. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. that's a boundary. Right. That's that. And and, and you can absolutely because, again, you're fighting for the relationship. Right. I know that that would affect my relationship with my friend. So we don't go there to preserve the relationship. Right. Um, so values, yes, are very important, um, but it depends on, again, why you have that connection with that person. You may be friends with that person based on their political values. That's why the friendship for you works. Okay. But there may be other other reasons why uh, a friendship exists outside of the things that are different um, about you too. Um, you know, chemistry, connection, all of that comes in different forms and sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, but this goes back to the respect. Can you respect everybody for their values, even if they differ from yours? Can you have enough restraint not to go there and get into a fight? Um, and, uh, you know, or change a person because you think you're right. And it's this whole holier than thou you're wrong. I'm right. All that. So that's where it gets murky. Um, but if you can respect that other people are different from you, then you have a chance of having a really successful relationship, whatever version of relationship that is. Mm-hmm. I think that requires, you know, self-awareness. You have to check yourself because I have a family member who insists on challenging me in every area where she knows we're different. And every phone call, every text has a dart. Every single one. And I've said, can we just agree to disagree? Can we can we just not go there? Let's talk about something. And then when I say that, this person just flares up, gets more excited. But I can't believe but I, you know, that you, you don't see it this way. And how could you? I've had to remove that person from my life for the most part. For the most part. I mean, I can have very casual um, conversations but 
I know the barb is coming very shortly. And mm -hmm. so why would I want to do that? Why would, I, why would I want to go there? I'm not being respected. My boundaries are not being respected. This person I don't believe is self-aware, but she thinks she's very self-aware. <laughs> isn't that the, isn't that a great juxtaposition right, of that? Right? She thinks you know, she's so loving and self-aware. Mm -hmm. It's always those people that always think, but I'm so self, I'm, I, I had this conversation the <laughs> other day with my dad about something where he was like, but I am so self-aware about this. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I was like, just the fact that you're even saying that to me shows to, shows me that you're not self-aware of it all. But you know, some people really just love to fight. I'm just going to say that. I mean, some people love to stoke the embers. They love to rile people up. Uh, they like that confrontation and um, that combativeness and they know what they're doing. That is always what I say. You know, I very rarely do I feel someone who's like that is not intentional about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so like you're saying that, you know, whether, you know, she thinks she thinks she's self-aware or whatever it is. I always believe that, you know, we don't, how do I say this the best? An, an ex-boyfriend, I'll say it this way. You know, I, I would say to him oftentimes, and this is dealing with like the narcissist thing. Um, I would oftentimes say to him, you know, I don't intentionally try to hurt you in our, in our conversations. Like if I, if I do, I, it is, it is not intended. Mm -hmm. Um, but you do try to hurt me. The things you say, you do intend to hurt me with it. Right. So, um, I, I think we have to apply that to our friendships as well. You, we are smart people. We are an evolved species. We can usually tell when someone is doing something that you know, deep down your, your, your intuition kicks in that this is not safe. This doesn't feel good. They are being intentionally cruel. Mm -hmm. Um, and like you said, you have to sometimes, remove that person in a, it, from your life in a big way, maybe fully or a majority, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Exactly. exactly. To you. Mm -hmm. and, and the other thing, the other thing that happens with these things, I know this has happened in this situation, is in the past, I've tried to stick it out and to be calm and a voice of reason. And then she ramps it up and ramps it up until I explode. And one time I hung up. Because it just was getting out of control. Out of control now yeah. she says, "I'm the I have an anger problem." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, it was situational. No, 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 you have an anger problem. <laughs> but see, because she pushed you and pushed you, and then she you got she got you exactly where she wanted you. She wanted you to fly off the handle, so then she could turn to be like, "Whoa, look at you! You've got some issues." <laughs> right. And then no accountability. They don't take any accountability for pushing you to a certain point. We all have a breaking point, mm -hmm. you know. And it's and that it's just that is just so typical of a person like her. Now I don't mm -hmm. even know her, but I know her. If you know what I mean, I I know. Mm -hmm. This person is I think I, we've all had somebody right, like that, you know, right. especially if, you, if you've had a narcissist in your life, that is one of their tactics. Well, they want to see you break. They want to, they want to get to you. They're right. trying to push your buttons and oh gosh, I've right. had and then they can turn it on you and say you're the problem. Yeah. Well, they're either manipulating you or gaslighting you. There's really no in between. Lying to you, whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. 
So what are some other things that maybe I didn't ask you that you think are important to share? You know, I, I think just understanding that uh, showing up for people in life, I think is very important. I, I think in friendships and community building, um, you have to put in the effort. You know, I, I we've taught, we've had all, the, you know, these conversations about all of these uh, different categories and um, expectations and, um, and uh, you know, how to implement these things. Um, you know, here's the roadmap, as I like to say, you know, here it is, it's in front of you, try this, work on this. But, you know, I can give you the directions, but I can't make you get in the car and drive there. So if there's something going on in your life right now where you're being pulled toward this work, then follow that. But don't become easily overwhelmed by it. Understand that this is you can take this in bite size, you know, kind of quantities um, and you can work the book uh, as as it works for you and where you want to start with it. Um, but the, the final thing I really want to say is, you know, you deserve it. You deserve to find your people and, and, you know, don't sit there and think because of whatever you were born into or socioeconomics or things, like I said, in the beginning, that that disqualifies you, um, that, you know, we all deserve to figure this out for ourselves. And, um, and knowing that it's not selfish, this is not selfish of you to ask for what you need and to find people to support you and love you. Um, but also remember to be figuring out who you are to other people too. You have to be showing up for other people and you have to be part of this. You have to, it, it, it has to be reciprocal. Um, but there's a difference between it being reciprocal and tit for tat. So, you know, again, there's always, there's always caveats attached to it. And, you know, the word that came to mind is humility. Mm-hmm. versus martyrism. So, yes. Right? So, yeah. I mean, be gracious in accepting what people want to give you. Don't say, oh, no, you know, not me, or don't say that, oh, no, you know, kind of always deflecting off of you um, because you don't need anybody. You're fine, you know. Humility is is really important in relationships. You have to be willing to accept as much as you give. Absolutely. And it, it can be very difficult. You know, I, I'm one of those people that have a difficult time not being the nurturer. I want to be the one that takes care and I have a hard time asking for help. Mm-hmm. And I think asking for help is is just as hard as people who don't want to public speak. <laughs> Sometimes I think it's like the same type of fear is attached to that. Mm-hmm. So again, this is brave work. This is honest work. This is vulnerable work. Um, but asking for help does not mean you are weak. Um, and, and needing people doesn't mean that you are weak. Uh, and, and don't make it a popularity contest either. It's not the quant, it's, you know, quality over quantity. And that's really what this is. Um, and so coming to the table, like you just said, with that humility is really important and don't be afraid to ask for what you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. I mean, I've come in, I've run into that situation many times where, you know, I'm giving out of the goodness of my heart and it's like, oh, don't, no, don't, not me, you know. And it's like, oh, well, but I want to. <laughs> right, right. But I, want to, but I want to do this. So could you please just say, okay, thank right. you. That's it. 
please we have to learn if we don't have if it's uncomfortable for us we have to just learn to say thank you that's all right. you have to say right and thank you and you don't have to go get into it right? oh absolutely and i think that you know oftentimes in life less words than more are probably our best <laughs> mm -hmm. um but exactly. i think we live in a in a society and a culture where if we're not, you know, throwing ourselves on the floor in complete gratitude and like prostrating <laughs> ourselves, then we're not being grateful enough, you know? It's so it's like, you know, it should just be enough to be genuine and, right. and, and grateful right. and say thank you. And you, the person who is giving, I know a lot of people like this in life, you know, it's, you know, those people that you can never thank them enough, right? You have to constantly be grateful for what they do and how they give. And they talk about a present that they gave you for forever. And, you know, I, it's, and it, so again, there's always, there's always all these different, you know, versions of it. But I think, again, if you are genuine in your gratitude, um, you know, that should be enough. And if it does make you uncomfortable, like even receiving a compliment, just to be able to just say, oh my gosh, thank you. That really made my day instead of, oh, no, 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 no. You don't know me well enough or no, you mm -hmm. must be crazy or you need right, glasses, right, you know, right. all that. So, yeah, exactly. I think that's really important. Wow. What a great conversation. This is such an important topic. Um, and you frame it in a way that um, most people don't think about, but we're talking about building our villages and um, so your book is um, Build Your Village. And yes. <laughs> um, tell us about, uh, do, you, do you work with people one-on-one -on -one or what, is, what kind of work do you do? I feel like I do work with people one-on-one -on -one because I answer every DM on Instagram. And so I'm usually talking through things with people. I do a lot of media um, and I do a lot of uh, more of the public speaking side of things. Um, okay. Uh, but, you know, florenceann.com is my website. The book is there. Lots of articles and blogs that I've written about it. And then on social media, I go into this in depth in a lot of just kind of the content that's there. And I, like I said, I answer every DM. So I'm here for you as that virtual village. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. So, um, so everybody pick up a copy of this. You know, it's really going to challenge you to um, assess where you are in your life and where the... Uh, the holes are or where the, you know, the spaces are that maybe you could feel better. Um, Florence Ann, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today. Great, great topic. I love it. Pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too.